I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, all you beautiful people. Before we throw it to this week's episode, a quick reminder that tickets are on sale for Sick Boy Live. We have a few events coming up. Sick Boy Live from Vancouver at the Rio Theatre, and that's September 23rd. Next up, we have September 24th, uh, Sick Boy Live from Sate in Calgary. And then finally, a little bit later that week, September 27th, Sick Boy Live from the Monarch Tavern in downtown Toronto. Uh, tickets are available for all of these shows. And if you want to snag those tickets before they're gone, head to www.sickboypodcast.com slash shows. Uh, get those tickets while they're hot. We can't wait to see all you beautiful people from across the land. And hope you enjoy this week's episode. Um, all right. Well, we're we're back in studio, and uh, we're gonna. I think we're we're about to touch on some heavy shit. Uh, what did we talk about the last time we were in here? Oh, right. A bunch. We just made fun of your doctor, uh, who. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that again. All right, whatever. Uh, anyway, um, I've I've actually got some huge news that I haven't shared with you guys yet. Oh, great. My, does it relate to what we're talking about with Heather? Does my microphone sound really loud? Do no, I sound louder? Uh, no, you're you're okay. okay. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to tell you guys right before we get started. Um, really exciting news! It's uh, pumpkin spice latte time back at uh, Starbucks. Oh uh, my god! You know what? I I was reading uh, some financial news today, and uh, I I really I read that uh, Starbucks is really uh, really buckling down on capitalizing on pumpkin season. Yeah, it's PSL time. Yeah. Um, uh, I take okay. my. If anybody's well, interested in just ordering, PSL. ordering me a PSL, I take mine with uh, a little bit of. A splash of coconut milk and one less shot of the the flavored syrup because you don't really need that much. Could you be any more basic, Brian? <laughs> Can you turn down the basic, basic Brian, yeah. basic Brian? That's it. Mm-hmm. We've been we've been secretly you and I just between ourselves after we record have always been thinking what are the. Brian needs a, a good nickname. And now, what I would like everybody to do who's that's, listening to this right now is to, gonna be is to, is to uh, put up an Instagram story yeah. uh, with a picture of Brian yeah. and nope. tag Sick Boy Podcast with the hashtag Basic Brian. And nope. we'll share every single one of them. We'll share every single one of your Insta stories if you <laughs> tag us with a, a silly photo of Brian. Like, go to Brian's Instagram, find the... Like, you know oh what? You can Lord. find modeling photos Ugh. of Brian if you search Brian Seaver's name on Google. So no, find some stupid those photos of Brian. Those are the most basic ones, too. Those are really basic photos. And yeah. then you can put hashtag basic Brian and it will totally work. Dude, I can't fucking wait until I catch you with a PSL in your hand and I'm just going to take the biggest photo. Uh, you got one? Is that actually one right now? Yeah, dude. This is one. 
Excuse me while I grab my phone. It's August. Why are they s- selling pumpkin spice lattes in August? Dude, it's the same. It's like when they release Christmas stuff in September. Here, we've we've got one. Oh, no, they won't be able to see that because uh, this obviously isn't coming out today. No, they'll, And also, we'll I don't know if you guys seed. know, but like I wore my uh, my like down vest today with my, uh, you know, because it's kind of starting to feel like fall. All right, Brian. Um, you know what is not so basic? Walking cliche. Is... Uh, the conversation we're about to have with our guest, Heather. Um, I'm really excited for this because this is one of those, like, we have a, we have a, a process, like, for the most part, process. We don't have any fucking processes. We're still trying to figure out what our process is. Uh, generally, people go to a, a contact form that we have on the website, and they fill out, like, who I am and where I am and, and what cool disease I have. Um, but we got this email from our manager the other day, and it was like this really like long, well thought out uh, description of your your struggles with depression. And Jeff was like, uh, "This came into my email. I consider this for a future episode, and just like sent it our way." <laughs> and as soon as I read it, I felt compelled to reach out to you um, for a number of reasons. Because I think you know we try on the show we try to touch on mental health issues at least once per month, you know, out of like the four episodes that we put out. Um, but it was also really funny because as you applied like that, that day that I got the email, we were just in the middle of having a conversation with our friends at jack.org about this, this, uh, initiative that they're doing called be there, which I'm sure will come up in conversation as we, as we go on. Um, but before we get to that kind of stuff, Heather, why don't you just let us know who you are? And, uh, I guess like, where should we start? I often think about where to begin myself. I've been uh, working away at my memoir for a number of years, and I get stopped right after sort of the the first chapter. Uh, I'm 48 years old. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, postpartum depression uh, literally about two weeks after my daughter was born, and it was harsh and fast. Uh, it was uh, the the journey itself went from the severe postpartum depression right into a major depressive disorder, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, I also struggled with an eating disorder at the same time. Holy fuck. And there was no, and there was no pause in this. It just kept going and going and it was relentless. And it was, you know, I, I often say like the pit of hell, but if there's something worse than that, I've been there. Did you did you have any like experience with anything like that before your you gave birth to your daughter? Yeah, so I think when I, you know, in my mid-teens, I I think I struggled with depression. <coughs> I just didn't know what it was. You know, that was, you know, in the late 80s, uh people certainly weren't talking about it then. Mm-hmm. So, looking back, I think I did, but the the postpartum was really the the kick. Right. Right. Okay. I I always I before starting this podcast and having conversations with people with mental um, with mental health issues, um, I feel like whenever I thought about um, depression or anxiety, um, I would I would try to reach for like the stars. Like the, yeah, reach. <laughs> I just try to reach up for the stars and and give it my all. Um, I try to uh, I would try to reach for like rational reasons. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like. They f- oh, I wonder if they feel that way because of like this thing or this like very specific thing. And when I think about when I, re- I remember having this thought about postpartum depression and thinking like 
how could they be depressed? They've just had a baby and it's amazing. And like, and, mm. and, and, know, and knowing now that it's not necessary, it's not rational at all in terms of why it, it happens. Um, do you know, like, I think my question is more on the lines of, do you know, what is the, what is the thing behind postpartum depression? Like, do they, do they have a, do they have anything that says like, okay, you've, you've just given birth and you know, you could point to X, Y, Z and say, you know, as a result of this, this is what has made like maybe, this type of like chemical yeah, imbalance. Yeah. Or, like this or, is or happening this or, is, might be why it's catalyzed <laughs> this, this postpartum depression. Yeah, I think uh, I think most people are familiar with the baby blues, which hits about uh, 10% of new moms. And what I had was much more severe. Mm-hmm. Um, it. What are the things that maybe led to it? You know, is it solely reliant on a chemical imbalance? I don't think so. Um, I think that for me, and and I think every woman's case is a little bit different. But for me, it was also maybe a touch of post-traumatic stress, just Mm. given the circumstances of what happened during my labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. Was it a tough delivery? So it wasn't so much a tough delivery as maybe it was faster than they thought. Okay. So when I hear, you know, when they're trying to put an epidural in my back and the doctor's yelling at me, and they don't check to see how far along I am. And then the nurse rolls me over and I hear, holy shit, she's fully dilated. Get the doctor. Oh, my gosh. Those were the exact words out of her mouth. That gives me PTSD, just hearing that. <laughs> oh, God. My Lord. He has a tough time with birth. I have a really hard time with babies coming out of people. <laughs> just humans coming out of humans in general. Anything coming out of humans really I have a hard time with. Although you're kind of a fan of poo-poo. I do. I do, yeah, that's true. Interesting. A lot smaller than a baby, though. Depends. Uh, most farts, yes. <laughs> Heather, literally. So um, Jeremy kind of prefaced this by saying that uh, he read the email that uh, that you sent through, and I actually didn't read it. And it's funny because we were we were talking before we started recording, and and like Taylor and Jeremy were kind of doing some things to set up, and you and I were having this conversation, and and I didn't know that you um, suffered from. Uh, depression, mm-hmm. and I never would have guessed because of like how um, cheerful and like um, joyous you were when we started um, conversing. So classic. Uh, yeah, you couldn't yeah, possibly classic. be depressed. Ooh. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying that <laughs> because no, I, I know, know I obviously no. know that you can be, but but um, how often do you get that? And it, it seems like you are one of those like kind of typical positive, outgoing, seeming. A seemingly positive and seemingly outgoing people. Um, is, did you experience a lot of like stigma around that? Oh, absolutely. Um, six weeks after my daughter was born was my first uh, inpatient mental health stay. And, you know, when you are put through the system so quickly, you know, you see your GP... He's concerned. He says, I think you need to see a psychiatrist. And I'm saying to myself, no, I'm not crazy. I don't need to see a psychiatrist. And he's saying, no, I think it's postpartum depression. And I saw her for the first time. And she, the words out of her mouth were, we're going to have to ramp you up on medi- medication as fast as your body can handle it. Whoa. Ramp you up. And we're talking four or five different medications. Not that I want to stig." the medication part, mm. 
So she said to me, if things get bad, if you feel like you're going to harm yourself, you should come in hospital. It's safe. You know, your daughter can be in the room with you. We'll get a nurse 24-7. And I finally did. I, I, I knew somewhere deep down inside that I had no other option because the suicidal thoughts were every second of every day. Oh, I wow. was Googling. I was making a plan. So I went in hospital. Katie was uh, six weeks old. And I remember uh, going outside for a little walk, and this woman stops me, and she says, what the hell are you doing here? You look so normal. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when it comes to the stigma, that's... Was that a patient, or...? It was a, it was a patient on the same ward. Oh, interesting. You know, and, and over the course of... So they like, also thought you had three heads, and that you were, like, Satan have. was speaking from tongues out of your, you know, out of your bottle. And, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, there's something that, that's kind of jarring and, and that I never really thought about, uh, which I actually didn't even get from your email, but um, the fact that, that you are so, so recently have just given birth... And are literally like still, you know, I mean, that early on into motherhood, it's like you, you're, you're clutched to that baby pretty much all day, every day. And to have to go, are you? Well, I think for the most part, it's like, think about new mothers. How, how long did you say it was? I mean, I'm pretty bad with this shit, but like six weeks, that's a fucking young baby. But I think six that, weeks? Because I remember a conversation that we had with um, a mother who is going through postpartum depression, and she said, like, I love no, my baby. Yeah, but no, like- no, 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 no. No, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, like, Nat- like Natasha has her baby. Six weeks in, Natasha, my sister, who I don't think has, and has never expressed that she has postpartum, but for the most part, like, someone who's going through everything, like, if everything everything's is normal. well and normal you are with that baby like yeah that's your fucking job you yeah. you don't have a job your job yeah. is now that baby yeah, yeah and so for someone who is that early on into a pregnancy and your job is to be there for that baby but then have to take that baby with you into into a hospital setting like that is how often is does the baby come with you yeah. So no. So Oh, that's uh, what I thought you said that they were like you you can so take the baby in. So that was the in. plan. The plan was because that bonding uh, period of time is very crucial in those first yeah. few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um but I actually and it's you know, I, I stop myself sometimes when I realize that it, how difficult it is to look back, but I I couldn't be around my daughter. I right. you know, it was <coughs> it was the feelings of I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I need mm. a manual. So the anxiety associated with that. Thankfully, I had amazing in-laws that dropped everything and came up uh, to Ottawa to to really take the load off. And for right. me, I knew somewhere that going in the hospital was critical. I mean, it was it was really a matter of life and death. But that wasn't the first time that I went in. When I so I went in for a month. And I thought to myself, I'm never coming back here. Four months later, I'm back in. I admitted myself. I had to go back. Was the, the experience of being in there when you left the first time, did you, you felt like, oh, okay, I've dealt with this. This is, this is kind of done for now. Or was it like, oh, I'm going to bury this and I can, I can manage? Yeah, I, I, was, I, I wanted to go home. 
I wanted to bury it. I wanted to try and give the medication a chance to work, follow doctor's orders. And I just kind of existed in, it was just a shell of, of my former self. I just was barely getting by. Um, what what level of like um, like thought do you have or self awareness do you have in the sense that were you like were you worried about being a burden to like the rest of your family and being in there and you know having this young child at home? Yeah, that was uh, that was a big the the burden aspect was a big part of my journey um, with my battle with mental illness. I felt so strongly that everybody was better off without me that I was bringing mm. everybody down. And I mean, you know, it's, so that was the tipping point. That was the, the postpartum. But what transpired in the next five years was nothing short of, I cannot believe sometimes that I'm still walking this earth because I would go through uh, many other hospitalizations. And then, you know, that one night when I decided that was it and I overdosed. Oh, so you you actually did attempt uh, to take your own life? I attempted three times. Holy whoa! Wow. Yeah, within a you know several years. Okay, like within that fi- within that five year time frame. Not within the five year time frame, but when the postpartum depression ended and it, I sunk into a major depressive disorder. The the major depression that stayed with me, and the things that. You know, where the the place that I was, it was like I can't continue to battle this. A lot of people didn't even know I was uh, really good at hiding it. Mm. I went back to work when my daughter was uh, eleven months old. But I think you know I, I've heard and I and I agree with that that they say that sometimes depression is anger turned inwards. And so I, you know, I, I, I thought about that during the years. Um, interesting. I've never heard that before, but that, that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Did you, did you like, um, what is, what's the deal with postpartum depression? Is there a, is there like a time limit where they, where they go, yeah. okay, you, you've actually, it's been a year and a half now. So technically you're just depressed. Like we, it's no longer postpartum depression because your baby is now a teenager or like whatever. Like, <laughs> like how does the, where does the, the line kind yeah. of stop? I think, I think it's different for everybody, but I think for me, I would have to say it was probably a year after right. I was diagnosed that it just, you know, went into a depression and it just stayed there and it lingered and it suffocated me. Was there any period, though, between the, the postpartum and the major depressive, depressive disorder? Like, was there, any, was there any break? No. It just, it just kind of, it just continued to spiral downwards. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great way of, of saying it. It, did, it spiraled out of control. Um, what were you like before this? You know what I mean? Like, wow, before the baby, like, yeah. what was, what were, what, who was Heather? Like, what yeah. was your day-to-day, like, had you ever... Had you ever had um, uh, little bouts of, of depression or, or anxiety or anything that might have popped up? Or was it, did this all just really just like explode out of nowhere after the birth? Yeah, I think it was more like explosion, like a, being hit by a Mack truck. Yeah, it's so intense. Because between, you know, from graduating from high school and, you know, going to university. And I think I was, uh, I was happy. There weren't really any times where I felt overly depressed or, 
you know, it was, mm. it was manageable. And then I, you know, I got married and I bought a house. And so, yeah, it was the, it was the Mack truck. Mm. You know what? One of the craziest things I've taken away from this podcast over the last four years is that, um, it's, it's my idea of pregnancy. And one of the things that I find that I be, become heightenedly aware of is the, the Instagram pregnancy. So there's like tons of people, especially now that I'm like 30 years old, I see a bunch of people I know posting about their pregnancies online and there's this like buildup and it, you know, the, like after the first trimester, you usually start to see like photos and here I am and here's my progress and here's how many weeks pregnant I am. And then, oh, here's my baby. They're X month old. And, and I always like the amount of stories that I've heard about like postpartum depression or like complicated pregnancies and things like that. It, it always makes me so nervous for those people because I feel like my eyes have been opened to how common complications um, can be during pregnancy and how difficult it can be. And we, we almost like glorify this like quote unquote perfect birth. And I think probably a lot of times people make it out to be a lot better, easier, smoother than it is. And there's, Oh yeah. I mean that's social media as a whole, like in every way that you use it. Absolutely. But I, I think like, the the thing that's that I find is really important for myself to take away is the fact that like holy shit like this can be an extremely traumatic time of your life and like <coughs> you can go through a lot of um, ter- like challenging experiences when you give birth and it's like the more kids you have the more like the more increased likelihood is that you will experience something like that and the amount of people who are having miscarriages is is actually higher than you think and. I think that in in um, being like courageous, like like you, Heather, and talking about this openly, I don't think enough people are doing that. One, and I think that's why I'm so surprised that this happens so much. But I think it's so important for us to have these conversations to open people's eyes mm-hmm. up to how common it actually is. You know, a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine who had a kid, um, God, it would have been a, at least a year ago now. I think. Um, do you know Clancy at all? I do not. Um, anyway, um, she was really like she used social media as a as a way to really to really bolster that that message to be like you know they're like shit isn't always the way that you think it's going to be and you know you know uh, you know I'm a I'm a mom now and I thought it would be the I thought it would be this like you know happy days every day and it's not and I, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of like physical health issues and 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 mental health things and 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 this and that and like and getting it out there and saying like. And at the same time, sort of like being able to take that step back and also acknowledge like, you know, I, I realize how lucky I am. I have this child, the child's healthy. I'm in a relationship like, and kind of taking the good with the bad. Um, uh, a question that came up uh, when, when you, when you mentioned, um, your, uh, your attempts at, at taking your life is, is putting myself, putting myself in that, in the shoes of, of thinking, you know, whatever those thoughts are, I'm, I'm a burden or, you know, things would just be easier if I wasn't here, whatever those thoughts are. Um, and I think of, and you know, I don't know where you are today, but it seems like, it seems like at least as you sitting here in front of me, it'd be fair to say that, that that's a different version than right now. Um, do you look back at that, at those thoughts with clarity? Like, can you, can you remember them and see how they feel? Or is it like, or is it like being too like 
too drunk and you look back and just go, I don't even know what was going on there. Or Dude, do you, that's, a, that's a really good question. That's such that. a good <laughs> question. Mean, yeah. No, I can look back with absolute clarity. Um, how I felt leading up to it. it I had resolved myself to, I mean, that's what I did. I knew that I couldn't go on anymore. The pain was just so incredibly intense. And it, yeah, it was uh, it's sometimes hard to put it into words, but yeah. I, I can still go back there. But, it, but that is an older, different version of me because I've spent so much time being committed to my health and... and you know, following doctor's orders and, and it in, in some ways does seem like a lifetime ago. Mm. I think that, you know, I'm a stronger and better person for having gone through that. Yeah, and absolutely. I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't struggled like that. You know, my perception about happiness and joy mm. and mm. passion and faith and is just, is just different. So it's, it's really shaped me in a positive mm. way. I had a, I had a really interesting conversation with my psychologist last week about, um, the idea of contrasts and how I was, it, it came up in, in conversation about him and I talking about, um, uh, or the, the way that we got into the conversation was talking about Kyla and how she wants to live in a, in a really warm place. So that would be like her ideal scenario to live in like a really warm place all year round or most of the year. Whereas I'm like, well, I want to move into an igloo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have these drastic, uh, difference of opinions now that I'm, that I would say, well, yeah, I love being in a tropical, tropical place, but do, would we love that? Will we love that place if it's the only thing the that time. you have? Like, yeah. you know, we love summer because we have winter and you know, we love it when it's sunny because sometimes it rains and, um, you know, cold and warm and all these, all these contrasts and the reason that we really enjoy, the things that we do because there's, there's, there's the, there's the opposite equal and opposite that we, that we probably don't like and how going through something incredibly challenging is what makes you like, it's like, it's almost like if somebody were to say, Hey, do you want to do this thing? There's going to be a moment in there where you wish everything would just fucking end. And I'd be like, yes, cause that's going to, that's what makes it worth it. You know, and like hearing you say, even to the extreme of like having thoughts about taking your life, it's like you are better and stronger because of that, because you were able to get to, to, to like stare at that and get through that and, and be where you are now. Like I find that so fascinating. I mean, that's, you know, that's probably the most extreme, you know, example that, yeah. that you can draw from. How do you like, do, do you feel that, do you, does it give you almost a sense of like you can fucking take over the world because you've because you've literally gone to the edge and come back? I think so in some ways. Like I I fear nothing. I have no fears about anything. And nothing at all, like sharks. No. <laughs> uh, nothing. Bees. Nothing. Really? And I think to live a life without fear. I mean, if, if you could just bottle that and give it to people, it would be amazing, you know. I wonder yes. what that would taste like. <laughs> Probably tastes like Red Bull. I was going to say. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. You know? It gives sweet, you courage. A little sweet, little carbonated. Um, uh, that, uh, like, and I, I was kind of joking there, but I, I'm actually serious. Like, you don't have any, like, phobias or fears or anything at all? No. 
Absolutely. Needles not. in your eyeball? Nope, nothing. Wow. Nothing, nothing. I, th- you know, I think when we ghosts. Lo- <laughs> no, ghosts should be sweet, dude. Nothing. Ghosts could be scary. I don't know. Nice I think I'm scared of. I think I'm scared of a lot of things <laughs> having this conversation right now because I'm going. I'm scared of sharks eating me. I'm scared of drowning. I'm scared of burning to death. I'm scared of needle. I'm definitely scared of needles in my eyes. You're scared of needles <laughs> in general. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> I'm fucking terrified right now. <laughs> Jeremy's gonna go live in a bubble after this. After this <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this very short break. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. One thing I am I am curious about, and, and, and maybe this, it's always, it, sometimes when we deal with these subjects, uh, with the subject matter of like of depression and and like really severe mental mental health issues, I I do I do notice myself sort of tiptoeing sometimes like around the the subject, but I'm I I can't help but ask this, and I hope it's okay because um, I think it's going to be pretty personal and also maybe a bit of a downer. Um, but in the, those moments, you know, those few moments where you were very sure of of wanting to end it all um what what was the timeline there like that it, how old were you when when these those like those three incidences happened so the first one i was 30 okay and then the second one i was about 34 and the third was Maybe a few years after that. Okay. Yeah. And, and you had at this period of in, in your life, uh, you have you have your your child, a daughter. Yes. Okay. And it is do you just have the one one child? Yes. Okay. I couldn't have any more children after my daughter because my psychiatrist said you cannot have any more children. You can't go through if that again. You do it will come back. Oh wow. Like from a mental, like um, from a mental standpoint, yeah. like it just would not be a good idea. Right. Would not be a good idea. So here I am, you know, twenty nine years old, and I've got my psychiatrist saying, "Don't do it again." You need to get your tubes tied. Oh wow! Mm. Oh wow! Like take those measures instead I, of like we like they were like we don't trust you. Like you yeah. like you physically need to change something. Yeah. Wow! Holy fuck! Okay. Um, did that? Sorry, Jerry. I know you were taking that somewhere too, but um, but I am curious while we're on the topic. Uh, <laughs> but screw your question. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's not. There's not a lot to this one, but uh, but was was your vision of the future like? Did it bother you that you could only have one kid? Like, were you one of those people who was like, I want to have like twenty a kids. family with like. 18 kids. No. Jesus Christ. Is that many people's yeah. perfect family? Also, no. is it uh, 1832? I think they made a movie called Cheaper by the Dozen about that. Uh, no, I knew instinctively that I could not. If I you got pregnant again, mm. I would not. But like even before that, you didn't think like, oh, I want four kids. No. <laughs> I think that I, I wanted one child. Okay. Mm. 
So I got the one child with a whole whack of other stuff that came along with it. Yeah. So, so my question then, um, in the, whether it's the first, second or third or all three of them in the moment where you decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to end it all. Um, what, considering that you said to Tay, like you can look back on it with such clarity now, what was going through your mind about the future of your daughter? With you, like, in, in a life where you wouldn't be around. Because here's the thing. The reason I ask that is because I remember when I was in high school, there was, uh, uh, I was dating this, this uh, girl who lived in a, a town just outside of my town. So we went to different high schools. And a close friend of hers um, took his own life. And she was devastated. And I was devastated for her. And... And I remember having conversations with her about like his family and and I came home and I talked to my dad about it and I was trying to like wrap my head around it all. And I said, I just feel I feel so bad for for his family, like for what what they're now gonna like go through. And I remember my dad my dad had this like way of looking at at suicide in a way that never really like I it never it always rubbed me a, a bit the wrong way. Like his, his, his reaction essentially was like, well, he was fucking crazy. Like he just, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't working with all of his, like all of his wires attached or whatever. And like, it was just very like passive. And I was kind of like, oh man, I don't know. Um, but it made me wonder so much about like what went through his mind right before he, he did that, knowing that, you know, he was leaving behind his brother and his mom and his dad. And so uh, it makes me this is the first time I've ever asked someone who's went to take their own life about how they felt about the people that they were going to leave behind in particular, your daughter. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think, well, I can tell you that I had fully resigned myself to say and believe (coughs) that she was going to be better off. Right. She was going to be better with her father and her grandparents. Because I think that I, for so many months and the years that I, I mourned already the mother that I felt like I couldn't be, mm. not being good enough. Mm. You know, and that was, that, was the, that was a huge struggle for me was the not being good enough. And that seems to be the common narrative. Like when, when, whenever we've talked to somebody is like that, that feeling that like, it's almost like not quite that you're looking at as like doing a favor, but like sort of in that context, like I'm, I'm doing everybody a favor by, by, by leaving. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, what all those people would say, which is, this is not a favor by any means and by any stretch of the imagination, but, but that your mind. And I think that's, the fascination with, with taking your own life is like, is, is that, is that there's something going on inside the mind that is, that is telling you that that's real and that that's true and and it's not. And, but that, but that, but that, that is your reality when you are, when you are in it. And, and it kind of going back to the, to that question I asked earlier is like, it's even more fascinating than I, that I think you can look back and, and like know it and go, that was me. And I was, I was, I thought that way and I remember it. And, um, and 
I had a follow-up question to that, but you kind of answered it in it, which was that you kind of see it as this kind of like distant version of yourself or like a, like a past life almost sort of feeling mm-hmm. about, about who that was because, you know, because you're not really there now. So it feels very different. The thing, the thing that I always find hard about hearing that, and I, and I understand, um, I've, I've, uh, had people close to me in my life who have, who have had those thoughts and who have felt that way. Um, but my, my uncle, um, took his own life and, I was fairly young when that happened and I saw the impact that it had on my cousin. So I think from an early from an early age I've always thought like like how can you think that way when I've seen how badly it's how negatively it's impacted the person's life who is left behind without you and that's the disease yeah right. that's, that's e- the illness exactly right? it's so and, and easy I, to think ra- to, and, to go to assign something rational to it but it's funny because i've come from the other way right like i like i thought that way from an early age and now i've come to the point where i like i understand now why mm. people a- like ask themselves that or think that but you know the reality is is that it's harder for the people that are left behind if you t- if you take that path, right? What was the aftermath of uh, like? Did you did, you know the the task of taking your own life is from the conversations we've had and and you know from the I think just from a lot of what we've learned over the last four years, it's not easy. It's not as easy as one might think, uh, and and oftentimes it can it can um, produce some pretty like hardcore physical effects and. Uh, I was, I'm wondering if they're like, if when you're during your attempts, like, did you, was there like a long recovery, you know, was there, was there moments where you, is there anything like any lasting effects from, from what you did try to do? No, I, I don't think so. I think the first attempt was probably the worst because I, I don't remember the ambulance coming. I don't remember being driven to the hospital, I have just sort of uh, vague memories of coming to and, you know, doctors and nurses standing over me. And then in those, in those moments, the first thought in my head was it didn't work. Right. What did you do? Did you, you, you overdosed, overdosed on pills? Yeah. Uh, How did you, how were you saved? Like, like how did it, how did the ambulance know to show up? Well, so um, this is always a tough part. So my um, he's now my ex-husband. We're still best friends. Mm-hmm. He found me. I oh. left a note. Um, we, were, we were at a big street party on our street the night before, and I had been stockpiling medication for months. I had hundreds of pills, sleeping pills and antidepressants and anti-anxieties. And, you know, I, I, I kept them all. I hid them in a drawer thinking, if I need to go there someday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't remember how many days I was in that ward of the hospital uh, before I was taken down in a wheelchair to the psychiatric ward, where this time around it was... No shoe privileges. Yeah, you're like you're like, basically in prison. Like I was on you're lockdown. on hard hardcore watch. Yeah. And 
I had to somewhere find the strength to build myself back up. Mm. So I always look at the first attempt as sort of really pivotal in that sense that, yeah. And it's hard to even go back to that place. But the clarity I have with it and... You know the other two attempts. I mean, there was there's there was a lot of shit going on. Yeah. How how old was your daughter during the first attempt? She was uh, almost five. And how old is she now? She's going to be nineteen in a couple weeks. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have well, you you got your handful? Have you uh, talked to her? Sure. Um, she about knows it? everything. Mm. She knows everything. So, I think the important part of the, my story is that when I really started feeling better, when I started going, wow, like I survived something that I thought was going to take me down. Mm. So I'm in my office uh, at work in Ottawa and I decide, okay, well, I'm just going to start talking about it. So I called um, the president of the foundation of um, the Royal Ottawa Hospital and I said, you don't know me. My name is Heather. And there's not enough being done about stigma. I consider myself an intelligent person. How come I didn't know what postpartum depression was? So we agreed to meet for a coffee, and it was great. And I said, if there's ever anything I can do, don't hesitate to reach out. Well, be careful what you wish for. Uh, several months later, I get a phone call. It's like, I'm stepping down, and I would like for you to replace me in my own position. <laughs> They were about to embark on building a brand new hospital, and they wanted somebody to be the face of the campaign. Oh, wow. Who's going to, you know, and and when I was asked, it was kind of like, well, will you do it? Like, that's a lot. Um, There'll be a lot of media. There'll be, and and Ottawa's Ottawa's like a million people, but it's really, it's it's small. Yeah, Mm. feels small. Yeah. And then it, it just started going from there. I, I did tons of speaking engagements. I spoke to lots of high school students. Mm. And then I decided, well, let's just push the envelope a little bit further. So I called the um, publisher of The Ottawa Citizen and I said, I want to publish my story in the Saturday edition of The Ottawa Citizen over four weeks and just put it out there. And it was like, are you sure you want to do that? Mm. I knew I had to. They're like, this will be great content, but are you sure? <laughs> yeah. We That's really, exactly what I yeah. thought when I read, yeah. read the email. We'd love like, to bring people content. back four weeks in a row. Are you sure you're willing to do it? What would you What would you say? I'm sure that there's more to that um, that story there that I want to <laughs> get. I want to just make a note to get back to it. Um, what would you say to... I don't, I don't think there's, pro- there's probably not that many people that are listening to this, having this thought, um, but I'm sure there are some and, and, and for the broader public at large that would say that are, that are shaking their heads at you talking to your daughter about all of this. Stuff. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, really? No, I wasn't I thinking that. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it I sounded thought... like you were being sarcastic, but I was no, like, no. oh, you're just thinking what I'm, what no, I'm asking. No, no, no. no, and I mean, I mean that like. That people that are going, oh, you, you can't, you, you can't, you, you can't, can't talk bring about, that you up can't to her. talk about that yeah. stuff. I'd I mean, like to like, think, what's she gonna think of you? And blah, 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 blah. and like all that shit that you know that that at least 
at least five years ago and before that was probably more the norm. And now we're, we've sort of moved into a different space, I think, with mental well, health. I, I hope so. It's gonna gonna be, say, it feels I, very yeah. different. I'd like to think 100% of our listeners are like, yes. Yeah, I would like to think. I, I, like I, imagine, to think. I, imagine, yeah. I imagine I imagine. a lot of them are. And if you're not, then you know, hopefully the, the answer, this answer that you're going to give uh, <laughs> makes you change your opinion in some slight way um, because I think it's imperative. But what would you say to people that think that that's, that's not like healthy. A, too much information or, yeah. they're, or they're not ready for it or whatever the, whatever the thought is? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, my ex-husband and I in, you know, when she was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 years old, it wasn't really talked about, but my daughter is incredibly perceptive and incredibly bright. And there were times when I was in the hospital when she was just a little bit older and it's like, why is mommy here? Mm. And so when she was about 13, 14, that's when I started to have open and honest conversations with my daughter. And it was, I did that because a Google she could just Google, you know, my name and then the stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. But it was about, you know, mental health and mental illness does run in families. And I feared that she would have depression or, you know, and, and not have a safe place to go to to talk about. And my daughter and I are, are extremely close mm-hmm. It was not an option because I refuse to shove things under the proverbial rug. I think that we have to talk about it. We have to desensitize it. Mm. Do you I, remember the first time that you, you brought it up to her? I do. Uh, how, how did it go? Yeah. So I, um, my, my doctors were great at giving some advice on how to broach the subject. And I, you know, so I said, you know, uh, remember when mommy was in the hospital and I wasn't feeling well and I was gone for a few weeks. Yeah. I remember, well, I have an illness that makes me sad. And so it was not throwing out the medical terms as much as it was the sadness and it happens and I'm okay. It was reassuring her and she knows now. And there's something that my doctor said to me that I never, ever forgot. She said, you are incredibly strong. And when you get better, you are going to be better than ever. Mm. And that was, that was the dangling carrot for me over all those years of the struggles was I will get to that point because mm-hmm. I'm stubborn and I'm headstrong and, and that better than ever. And that's <laughs> my reality now. Mm-hmm. Like you're at, you feel like you're, you feel like you're kind of, you're at, you're better than ever. I'm at my better than ever. Right. Mm. Amazing. Because I, I, I remember talking and I can't remember who this was now. And for now I can't even remember if it was on this show. I feel like it, it was definitely a doctor or a psychologist or, and I, and I remember asking them what, what do you feel? How do you feel about talking to kids about death? I think that was like some the question. I think generally, and they said something along the lines of like, "Well, you know, there's a up to a certain or before a certain age, it's kind of like it's it's you're not really getting you're not they're not really absorbing anything that you're saying. It just doesn't mean anything to them because they're just not at a place intellectually to like actually get what you're even saying. Mm-hmm. So, but but not to 
you know, I've been, I've been in situations where with like, you know, a kid that's seven or eight years old with somebody going like, Hey, talking to somebody else in the family going, Hey, D I E D. Yeah. We're going to go to that. We're going to go to that party because the person is D A D E A D. And, uh, and I was, and I'm, and you're like, what party? This sounds fucking lit. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm like, and I'm like, whoa, dude. Like, I mean, this kid's not yeah. made a not made of glass. Like, you know, you don't. You're probably not going to sit down and say like, well, they had T cell lymphoblastic lymphoma that you know mass metastasized into the liver, and like, you know, mm-hmm. give them the whole rundown mm-hmm. on how you know, everything happened, but. You know, but to have that conversation and to get those, to get like those words going and just like what you were saying, you know, you know that, you know, I have an illness that makes me sad. Like, I, I, th- I think it just comes down to like normalizing it in whatever way that you can in language that will speak to whatever age it is that you're talking to. I mean, obviously you're not going to talk to, like, I'm not going to go fucking talk to Hudson who's like nine months old. Yeah. Cause he I don't think he can see me yet. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he fucking recognizes me and I'm there all the time, you know, but like, uh, Hudson is three and I can have a conversation with Hudson about what it means to, to die. I mean, I haven't done that. And my, I don't know how my sister would feel about that, but like, I feel like there's ways to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, in a way that the child or whoever can, can like wrap their head around in however it is that they have like their, whatever their worldview is at that time. Yeah. And then to continue that dialogue as they start to mature and as they get older and as I'm as opposed to just going like, well, we're going to like, we're going to sit down and have the conversation. We're going to, there's two conversations. We're going to talk about you fucking, but that's in, (laughs) that's in like, you know, 10 more years. And so we're going to lay this one down on you because your goldfish died. (laughs) Yeah. Like we got to, we got to lay it out. It's a little jarring. I recall, I recall in the conversation that it was something, it was something like before eight years old, like really like an actual understanding is very, very challenging for, you know, for the average kid. Like, and I and I assume that's probably true for for you know most like heavy or complicated subjects to like really understand. Yeah. But that do, but I don't think that 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 means don't go there until then. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. like you can like you said like no. lay it out there in ways that you know you can sort of go oh okay like mommy's sick in mommy's sickness makes her blue yeah like you know whatever you know yeah. you can put it in ways that 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 when you when they can understand they'll understand better yeah. because of that, that predisposition um, or well, uh, pre-exposure or whatever the fuck the word I'm looking for is. One thing I, I want to, I want to bring up and, and sort of, sort of switching gears a little bit. Um, but to bring it back to, I, I kind of mentioned earlier that um, our, our friends at jack.orgs have, have started a, uh, an initiative called be there. And basically the whole thing is like, it's a resource for people to go to, to, to learn how to support the people in their life who might be struggling with their mental health um, and, and basically giving tools to people to use that, that might help them uh, in, in navigating those like tough conversations, which is something that like, you know, I feel pretty grateful that we've had this opportunity over the last like four years to really work on that skill through Mm. just having naturally sitting down like every week and having a conversation. Um, but the way that one of the ways that be there uh, is is doing this is by they've they've laid out these like golden rules, right? So like um, there's there's several different rules that people can like look at and try to incorporate into their life to to have this conversation with someone, and one of them is 
is uh, it's called show you care. So basically just like instead of saying something like physically doing something to show someone that you care about where they're at and that you want to be there for them. And I'm wondering, um, in saying that, is there anything that sticks out to you in your own life, in particular, someone who, who was there for you in that way where they showed you that they cared for you? Yeah. So right off the bat, the first person that comes to my mind is my younger sister. Mm. She's incredibly supportive, um, non-judgmental. She works in the healthcare field. And it's just, you know, there was no judgment or anything. Um, and so, it, and she, you know, we're, we're incredibly close. So I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And I think that she, you know, we had many conversations about two words that, you know, often are wrapped up in, in mental health and that's shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're both incredibly heavy and they, you know, I think with any illness, if we wrap it around shame and guilt, it just perpetuates, you know, the problem. And um, so my sister really helped me help me navigate through some of those feelings and and, you know, encouraging me, you know, you are good enough. And, mm. and really, all you have to be in life is good enough. Is that where the you you, yeah. you when you said good enough for the very first time earlier, people couldn't see this, but you really like you really pu- like punched it into the microphone. And as you did that, you showed us your forum, which says there's a tattoo there. Unless you just do that in permanent marker every week uh, <laughs> that says good enough. Is that is this where the 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 inspiration for that tattoo came from from your sister? Um. In part, mm-hmm. I think the other part was really with my psychiatrist, who I have to say is the best of the best. Um, you know, I often said, like, oh, you've put up with me for so long, like <laughs> you never gave up. And um, but she said to me many times, you know, I didn't have a concept of what a good mother was. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, you just have to be good enough. Mm. There's, you don't have to, there's no competition to be the best. And what is the best? So I, plus, I mean, someone could just buy you a mug. Right. (laughs) Says it. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess it's true. (laughs) It's been like a pivotal life lesson for me. Yeah. Is knowing, you know what? I'm good enough and I don't care what other people think. Mm -hmm. And And especially because. Because in the context of raising a child, I mean, like, it's all, it's all relative. I mean, like, you know, the person that does the great job with this one might do a terrible job being that exact same with another kid and vice versa. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like a, you know, the parent can only do so much in a lot of cases. Right. I mean, like, it's kind of a relative, it's a kind of a relative process. And like you said, like, it's one of the common things that comes up around childbirth is like this shit doesn't come with a manual like you don't you know you don't it doesn't get, come get spit out with with you know steps one through 35 like ikea directions <laughs> on how to put it together and make it work and yeah. like you got to stumble through that shit and figure it out you know unless you've had a kid before <laughs> you're pretty like, much going in blind the crazy thing yeah. is like 
Jer's mom is amazing, and look how fucked up he is. Like, <laughs> this is there's very, nothing you can do about that. Very true. Look at all these uh, poor decisions that he's put on his body that are going to be there forever. That's right. Yeah. Um, um, I'm sure that's how my mother feels about all of my tattoos too. But yeah. hey, yeah. right? Heather, we were. We what were do they know? We were um, <clears throat> just mentioning shame and guilt, and then going back to what you were talking about earlier about the um, the piece that you wrote for the newspaper. Um, were you worried about? You mentioned like people were meant like said something about you, the perception of like oh are you ready to p- put yourself out there like that did you did you feel any um, concern about putting your story out there not one bit and what was it like to share that like what type of feedback did you get and how did it, how did yeah. it make you feel yeah yeah and I actually attached my email at the end of each article. And oh wow! You got there a fuckload of emails not, of it. Big, I mis- did, big I mistake. Did. Big mistake. <laughs> there was not one person that had anything negative to say. Yeah. And I was just filled filled with this. I don't have any other option because the one thing I always wanted, looking back through my journey, was to have met somebody early on who said, who could say, "You're going to get through this," and I know what you're going through. Mm. I mean, like talk about talk about showing that you care like that is a perfect example, you know, if someone has been through it to to really step up and 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 use that experience as a moment for you to like say to someone, Mm. trust me, like there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Yeah, and, you know, not to get really hokey or anything, but I am a big believer that we are all here for a reason. Mm. And not that this is a legacy or anything, or how I certainly don't define myself by my struggles. But if, you know, if what I leave is, is was being able to give a voice to the stigma, then I, I like to think that I've accomplished that goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's like what I think the, the craziness, uh, of doing the, of doing the show for the, for however long we've been doing it. I mean, like that's the thing that, that never, uh, that never ceases to get old or cease to amaze us is, 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 you know, getting feedback from people that are like, I thought I was alone Ooh. and I'm not. And that's like just I, that snippet. My tattoo in the same spot says you are not alone because you're not. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one thing I was going to say is that that like knowing that somebody else has been there and gotten through reminds me of um, I've been doing a lot of UX and UI design. And if I can't manipulate a block on the computer the right way, I go and I look at a tutorial. What the fuck is UX? UI? <laughs> it's uh, HTML, CSS. Uh, user experience you know, and user interaction. And, yeah, okay. right, interface technology. I love you so, said that as if like we all know. I'm like, what the no, no, fuck are you talking you, about? You don't need to know. Smart people know. <laughs> okay. But, oh. but, yeah, sure. But the funny thing is, is that like if I'm trying to manipulate the block on the screen, and I'm frustrated because it won't work. Mm. I go and I look Just at it. Just because the tutorial. parameters and the diameters exactly. are exactly right. Mm. But when I look at a tutorial and I know that somebody else has capacitors. been there before, <laughs> and somebody else has answered that question already, and there's a tutorial on how to do it. It's so much easier. And now we've got an, now we've got a thing called the internet that just shares <laughs> oh that around. Like um, Heather, uh, before we wrap this up, uh, one question that we oftentimes ask our guests, uh, and it's a two-parter. Uh, the first one. Out of all of your your struggles with 
with your mental health. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing that it's taken away from you? Wow, that's a that's a tough question. I think time. I do mourn a little bit the time that it took away from me. Mm. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Courage. Courage, strength. Yeah. Sweet. I want to I want to thank you on that note for for sharing your courage with us because you know, a lot of times people um suffer through these experiences on their own, like we were just kind of talking about. And, and, you know, when they make it out on the other side, they're just happy to be there and they don't share that story. But when you talk about it and you talk about the challenges you've been through and you share that with other people, you're always going to be able to impact somebody else's life Mm -hmm. and somebody who was in that position that you were in. And just like you said, like validating their experiences, letting them know, that there is a light of, at the end of the tunnel, I think it's like one of the most powerful things that we can do as human beings. I agree. Thanks for coming thank in tonight. This was, Thanks, uh, guys. Yeah, this was really yeah, great. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week with another great little conversation. But in the meantime, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review and hit the subscribe button. Because it keeps us up on the on the iTunes charts. Uh, checked in on it the other day. We're still within the top 100. I don't think we've ever really left it. It's kind of cool. Um, and it actually it actually makes a huge difference to us. So uh, if you can do that and tell five people this week to do the exact same thing, that would be great. Mm, yeah. And if you want to support us in uh, another way, you can go over to patreon.com slash sickboy and... Uh, um, Contribute is the technical word that we need to use. Yeah, you can contribute to our our Patreon. We actually had some really great signups this week for Patreon. Mm-hmm. You get awesome access to the um, to the Discord community yep. on there, which is like this popping little, off. This little like 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 ecosystem of people having this kind of conversation all the time, um, and uh, and a lot of other cool stuff, including a weird a weird card um, with some na- naughty things that we've written on them. Um, which is with a, yeah. with a photo on it that's that's sort of unsettling. If you haven't gotten your uh, postcard yet, it is on the way. Uh, or send us your address because we don't have it yet. Yeah, that's, that's why right. You haven't gotten it. Yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, thanks to Donovan, the CPAP Morgan, for the amazing sound design on the show. Uh, Donovan, this wouldn't be possible without you. Also, thanks for cutting out all of the the stupid things that Jer says all the time because you know. People would just not like him as much as they do if he if we didn't cut those pieces out of the podcast. Right. So thanks a lot, Donovan. Yeah, yeah thank you, and, uh, ba- Basic Brian, for that. Uh, that <laughs> hashtag yep. Basic Brian. Hashtag hashtag basic Brian. Put up your Insta stories. Send the Insta stories. Insta stories. Hashtag <laughs> Basic Brian. At Donovan Sick Boy Podcast. For making this whole section sound like we're in a rainbow and a lot of basic things. Like, what does a rainbow sound like? What does a unicorn oh. sound like? Or a mermaid? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, that what does pumpkin spice latte sound like? This. Oh, yeah. Yes. There it is. Oh wow. wow. Oh, I do hear it. Yeah. I do hear it. 
and uh, before we throw it throw it uh, to the very very last part of the sign out again uh, uh, we've talked about it a couple times on this episode but um, our friends at jack.org have started an initiative called be there uh, it is a great resource to to help uh, deal and manage with the conversations that that you might want to have or or wish to have with someone in your life who's struggling um, and I think all of us can can really use that and work on that so if you're looking to uh, to get some knowledge and learn how you can be there for the people in your lives, head on over to bethere.org. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. I'm Heather. And this is Sick Boy. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.